0: We want to wrap up the Encounter Series today with Ted. He's going to share with us something called The Risk. Hasn't the Encounter Series been amazing? The whole 66 experiment, whole nine yards, it's been awesome. And so we're really looking forward to hearing about The Risk today. And so to start that off, we thought we would ask some people down at ACL, what's the biggest risk you've ever taken? So check this out. Were taken. Oh man! Oh. On know. the spot. Yeah. <laughs> I I I clipped it once. It's kind of risky. Didn't check the water below, so who knows? Came out okay. <laughs> Moving to a city that I had never been to before. Yeah. Yeah. Same. <laughs> oh, <I'm> get <getting> married? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I know. Maybe this hair, I don't know, man. <laughs> oh, the chanting the Hare Krishna Maha mantra because I told I was told that it would make me happy. Um letting go of everything and pursuing my career. What's your career? Music. That's awesome. That's right. Hike too far down a down a canyon without knowing where I could make it back up. Uh, I grew up in a in a cult and I left that and all my family to wow. f- take it out by myself. Like five years ago. Yeah. Wow. That's the biggest risk I ever took. Just leaving everything I knew behind. Uh, I think probably moving by myself to the other side of the world. And I move, I live in Canada, so it's a bit of a risk, but it's paid off quite well for me. Whitewater rafted every single day this summer. And uh, put myself in danger of death every single day. Uh, I don't know. I'm not a very, not a very at the big risk taker, I guess. Maybe going here. Is it really? At <laughs> uh, the, the biggest you know? risk? So, I'm not a risk taker. I, I just, I go straight. I just go straight forward. Go. I don't do risk. I'm so not like a risk program. taker. <laughs> <laughs> Playing it's it's safe or not at all. <laughs> What's the biggest risk you've ever taken? Talking to you right season. now. Working for at ACL. the biggest risk? Probably dating him. Sailing this. <laughs> Getting married. I don't know. Not, not a big risk taker. Getting too old for that. I went bungee jumping in Australia, and that was like the biggest heart-dropping thing I've ever done in my entire life. I, I don't know. <laughs> Asking my wife to marry me, that was pretty edgy. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't take risks. I just take all risks. Take all the- yes, I just yeah. go all out, you know what I mean? I just go all out. I, I really don't, I'm that type of person that really, no fear, no fear in this man, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever take he puts it. to his man, he does it. All right, so those of you who are watching from our Branson campus or on the internet campus around the world, those are typical Austin people. <laughs> Monday through Friday, some of the most highly educated, career conscious workers, but on Saturdays or at one of our festivals, uh, they're say anything, do anything, party animals. Uh, Actually, uh, a while back, we retained one of the uh, best advertising firms in the country, GSDNM, to rebrand Gateway and help us think of a different slogan. And instead of no perfect people allowed, you know what they came up with? They came up with Party Tonight, Repent Tomorrow, (laughs) GatewayChurch.com. I kid you not. Uh, So uh, we didn't go with that. But according to that video, there are some risk takers in Austin. And if we were to turn the camera on you today, what would you say was the biggest risk that you've ever taken? An interesting study was published in the magazine Psychological Science about religion and risk. According to the Stanford researchers... They found that committed Christ followers were more likely to take risks than their irreligious counterparts. Because of our belief in God's protection, the study found that we're more likely to consider doing risky activities like skydiving or biking without a helmet or making bold romantic overtures. We know John Burke's kind of a spiritual guy, so maybe that explains why he's always talking about skateboarding and surfing and playing full-contact soccer with people half his age and wrestling grizzly bears with Vladimir Putin, (laughs) topless. Uh, The scientists in the study seem surprised to learn that Christians are willing to take risks with their faith, and those risks produce a life of adventure and meaning and even joy. So this past month and a half here at Gateway, as a church, we've been involved in one of those great spiritual risks, one of the most prolonged spiritual experiments that any of us or, or many of us have ever attempted before. And uh, if you've been participating, I hope you found life of adventure and meaning and joy. So here's the 60-60 experiment in a nutshell. We decided as a church, we want to do the one thing that Jesus said is necessary, which is to be connected to Him throughout the day, to just be mindful of Him. And we do that in kind of an odd way. We set our watches or the apps on our phones to alert us once every waking hour for 60 days as a reminder to think about God and to talk to Him about how we're doing, to ask Him if there's anything He would like for us to do, and then in faith— to step out in obedience in the direction that he's leading. And there are promises throughout scripture attached to this and the one we keep coming back to here, the foundation of this series is John 15:5. I'm the vine, Jesus says, you're the branches. If you'll just remain in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then there's Hebrews 4:8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then David writes in Psalm 27, you know, David who lived a life connected to God. This is from the message version. It says, I'm asking God for one thing, only one thing, to live with him in his house my whole life long. I'll contemplate his beauty. I'll study at his feet. That's the only quiet, secure place in a noisy world, the perfect getaway, far from the buzz of traffic. God holds me head and shoulders above all who try to pull me down, and I'm headed for this place to offer anthems that'll raise the roof. I'm asking God for only one thing, David says, to just stay connected to him. And as a result, that changes David's day. People can't pull him down, he says. He exists with a quiet stillness in his life. And there's a song of joy uh, welling up in him, an anthem, he writes. So have you been changed by some of the big faith risks that you've been taking in this series. I had one of my best spiritual days in a long time last week when I took a business trip to Chicago. And I woke up uh, early one morning in my hotel room when my 60-60 alert went off, and God seemed to be saying to me, Ted, yes, you're here selling your company, but you also uh, need to represent me. And I said, okay, Lord, I'll take the challenge. And I got to encourage the worker at the front desk at the hotel that morning I asked three complete strangers about their faith and got into some amazing spiritual conversations. I met two new friends at a business conference and ended up praying with them. Uh, I encouraged a couple of people about their calling, and and I challenged them to take a next step of faith in their careers. And I even was given patience that day by God with the long-suffering Cubs fans who now think that they are God's chosen baseball team. And all day my 6060 app kept beeping and I stayed connected and I heard his voice. We're now 42 days into this experiment and I hope you're coming alive. I hope you're hearing God on a level you've never heard him before. I hope he's transforming you and healing some of your wounds. I hope you're taking risks and stepping out in obedience. But this series today at Gateway comes to an end. The group portion of this exercise concludes when we walk out of here today. Are you going to come down from this mountaintop experience? There's a story in the Bible about a guy named Moses who struggled to maintain his mountaintop spirituality. In Exodus 34, we see that Moses is coming down from the mountain, and he's been meeting with God, and he's got the new Ten Commandments in his hands. And something strange has happened about Moses. Because he's been meeting with God, his face glows. And and so the Israelites are a little bit wigged out by this, but they also kind of think it's cool. They're like, check it out. You know, there's a sheen coming off of Moses' face. And people have always gotten excited about glowing faces. What do we usually say at weddings when the bride is sashaying down the aisle? We say, look, she's so radiant. We never say that about the groom. I looked good at my wedding. No one said, wow, Ted's glowing. What what do we say at weddings about the groom? What what are the words we we choose? We say, you clean up pretty well. (laughs) Look at her, she glows. Look at him, he must have taken a shower. (laughs) So uh, we humans like to glow. And Moses realizes something strange one morning while he's shaving, you know? he, He looks in the mirror and he sees that the glory is fading. The radiance is moving out of him. And so he wears a veil over his face because he doesn't want, to see, want people to see that his mountaintop experience is fading. And we know his motivation by this because of what Paul writes in Second Corinthians 3. He says, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're not like Moses, who put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Okay, so Moses, according to Paul, is afraid that he's a a spiritual one-hit wonder. That, that this mountaintop experience of meeting with God or receiving the Ten Commandments was sort of the pinnacle of his spiritual existence. And it's true, the best spiritual seasons of our lives, when we felt the intensity with God at its peak, it is impossible to sustain that indefinitely over time. I mean, you can't always feel as close to God as you did that day you got Baptized. You can't feel the fervor that you had when you went on a global um, serving trip to Haiti. You won't always have that deep abiding hunger to read God's word like maybe you did in college when you were being discipled by somebody. Or maybe uh, even at the end of this year, you're not going to feel as on fire as you were during the 60-60 experience. But Paul says you can move into something deeper in this passage, he says, you can have something more sustainable. <laughs> he says, the spirit of God takes up residence in your heart. And where the spirit of God is, Paul says, there's freedom. And he continues this work day by day, month by month, year by year of transforming you into, quote, uh, his likeness with ever increasing Glory. So how is that? I mean, what's our part in allowing the Spirit to continue the work of transforming us, even when we don't feel the intensity of the mountaintop experience? Verse 16 simply says, we keep turning to Him. You know, we maintain our spiritual connection. And then verse 19 says, we reflect. We reflect His glory to the world. We maintain, we reflect. This sounds an awful lot like step 12 of Alcoholics Anonymous, I wanna ask for a raise of hands of how many of you have done step 12, because that's not very anonymous. But AA is this really intense approach like uh, the 60-60 in some ways. It's about turning your life and will, minute by minute, over to the power of God so that he can help you heal through addiction. Something that you were admitting that you were completely powerless over. And the creators of AA know that once people start experiencing freedom, they can have a mountaintop experience And uh, then the the writers or creators of AA were concerned that maybe there would be a letdown. That 12-steppers might lose their momentum and slide back into old patterns. And so step 12 is all about maintaining your recovery by doing the practices over and over. And it's about reflecting your life change out to other people. Step 12 says this up on the screen. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to others and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. The title of today's last message in this series is The Risk. And the risk that you face after doing the 12 steps or after doing the 60-60 in this case is that you would lose a grip on the feeling that you have and that your practices would fade away. Your encounter with God maybe this time next year wouldn't be as powerful. Let's talk about how to avoid that this morning and just unpack step 12 a little bit. First phrase there is, having had a spiritual awakening. The phrase implies that if you really try a faith experiment, if you fully give yourself to the 60-60, you'll have undergone a rebirth, that God will have brought to you new life. You might guess that the dominant metaphor for salvation in the New Testament is life. Salvation is synonymous with God bringing us new life. That's why Jesus says, I have come to give you life and give it to you in full. And Paul says something similar, though a little bit more theological, in Ephesians 2. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you li- used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler, of the kingdom of air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings uh, um, of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest of us, we were by nature objects of wrath. Okay, so he's doing a good job of, of painting the picture of the death side of this. That before we were intentional about our connection with God and before he saved us, we were kind of a slave to this darkness. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in his mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. Okay, Did you hear that? When God saves us and when we draw near to him, his goal is to make you alive in Christ. That some of those desires and the darkness from the past would change. So I'd like to talk to you for a moment about Ephesians chapter two, and about the 6060 60, just from my own personal experience. And I feel a little uncomfortable about doing this, but I'm just gonna let it rip. So I've been a Christian for 36 years. 36 years of going to church, reading the Bible, being a good little boy. For 18 of those years, I was a pastor. I'm not a pastor anymore. I just kind of volunteer here at Gateway. But for 18 years, you know, I spent my time, you know, preaching from a stage like this and counseling people and going to way too many potlucks and holding myself up as some kind of spiritual example to people. But there was this part of me all those years that was just dead. And I didn't want to admit it to myself, and I hope that few people noticed it there was a simmering anger all those years inside of me. And this 60-60 experience, the last six weeks, has helped me see what that anger was all about. I just feel all kinds of bitterness when people are more successful than I am. I'm so resentful when I don't get the recognition I deserve. There's something that cries out at me that wants to, people to acknowledge that I'm special. And when I don't get it, I get mad. And I sit in judgment about other people's talents and about their viewpoints, and I find that I'm really, really skilled at saying critical things to make people insecure so that I can make them do what I want them to do. And all of these years, I've been justifying this by saying, oh, anger is not near as bad as what other people do, and besides, Ted, you do all these good things for people. And I was always holding out this hope that my anger would change if my circumstances would just change. Like if I moved to another city or I got married or I made new friends or I changed careers. And so I moved, I married, I made friends. And I was still angry. Because the problem is wherever I go, I'm there. (laughs) My sin disease follows me. And I'm powerless over it. 36 years as a Christian, 18 years as a pastor, and so I've known all this stuff all of my life, and, and I, was, I was thinking that, um, you know, the 60-60 experience uh, isn't really going to help that much, and I just kind of phoned it in those first couple of weeks. The alarm would go off, and I would say, Lord, is there anything you want me to do? And he would say, as a matter of fact, yes. What about this anger thing? What about this part of you that you're holding back from me and holding back from everyone else? And those first couple of weeks, I didn't want to hear it. And that blasted alarm just wore me down. But as I stayed engaged, I stayed attentive and listening and hearing, I started to experience something different when the alarm went off. And it was grace. God would say, Starting about week three, he would say, Ted, your anger is this last part of your life that you haven't surrendered to me. You don't need it, son. I can take it from you. I know you don't know how to remove it from your life, but if you'll just stay connected, if you'll just listen and respond, I'll move it out of your life over time. So these past six weeks, particularly the last four weeks, I've been in surgery, I've been listening and responding, I've been tasting grace, and I'm not free from anger right now. I probably walk with a limp the rest of my life to the side of heaven. But my heart is changing. You remember what God said through the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36? He said, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from your heart of stone I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Through the 6060 God can turn a heart of stone into something that's vibrant and pulsing and beating and living. It's a heart of flesh. How's your heart today? Is it more like stone or is it more like flesh? I'm serious. Be honest with yourself. Is it stone or flesh? If you're feeling vitality in your connection with God right now, if there aren't any patterns of darkness like I had, I'm really happy for you. But if there is some stone-hardened part of your soul these days, there's something choking your heart, you will have few better opportunities in your life than this moment, than the 60-60, for God to step in and give you new life. The next phrase in step 12 says, we practice these principles in all of our affairs. If you want to keep your momentum after a spiritual awakening like the 60-60 or after the 12 steps, step 12 says, you've got to keep practicing. You have to be serious about maintenance. Now, I don't do maintenance very well. Uh, I can check oil and tire pressure, but I am, how they say Uh, automotively challenged. This is a source of great shame for me because my father is uh, a mechanical engineer who designed fueling systems for rockets in the space program. He's literally a rocket scientist. My my older brother uh, owns um, a tool and die engineering firm. My wife, Stephanie, God bless her, at Home Depot, she is customer of the month, 10 months running. (laughs) At Christmas time, our family gives her power tools and they give me bakeware. <laughs> I'm not making this up. And, and, and the guys, the men in the neighborhood, borrow her power tools. On Saturday morning, the doorbell will ring and they'll be like, oh, hey, Ted, is Steph around? <laughs> I'm like, how do you know that's not my miter saw? He's like, because you don't really know what a miter saw is, do you? <laughs> all right, I don't do maintenance all that well. Uh, Unless something gets really, really bad. And so that makes it hard to take care of things. If you've had a mountaintop experience, if you had some real spiritual progress these last 42 days, why would you let go of it? Why would you fail to maintain it? The book of Revelation in the Bible is a letter to seven churches in Asia Minor. And in the beginning few chapters, Jesus speaks a specific message to each of those churches. Revelation 2 is is the letter to the church in Ephesus. And in Jesus' message, he commends them for being good Christians and for helping people in the world and all that. And then he turns the corner and he says this. He says, yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. So this church has undergone a spiritual awakening. You can read about it in Acts 18 and 19. They felt so close to God. But over time, the church of Ephesus just lost steam. We don't know why. It's not like they were sliding into a moral gutter or they had latched onto some heresy. It's just that they began to kind of turn inward on themselves and stop uh, maintaining their, their spiritual growth. And so Jesus says, I have a prescription for you because you've abandoned your first love. He says, go back and repeat the things that you did when you first had your awakening. You know, sometimes actions have to come before feelings when you lose feelings. This is great advice for those of us who have marriages where things just not, aren't that exciting anymore. and don't have the feelings. Maybe the advice here is to go back and do some of those silly things you used to do for one another when you were first in love. You know, maybe uh, go to that spot you know for a couple of days where you had your honeymoon. Or maybe start bringing her flowers again. Or maybe pack him a picnic and take him out to that place you used to make out. Typical guy suggestion, I know. <laughs> go back and do the things you used to do, because sometimes after acting, feelings will follow. The same is true for people who have lost their passion for God. Go back and repeat the things you did when you were most on fire for him. Maybe you used to be passionate about God most of all when you were serving the poor or when you were on some global serving trip. Go back and rekindle and do that. Or maybe when you... Uh, Where closest to God was when you were pouring over Scripture every day and so maybe this next couple of weeks you just commit even if you don't feel it I'm going to go and I'm going to read like I used to read and the feelings might come back or maybe it was serving for you here at the church I mean, maybe you like mowed the grass at Gateway or something They're just you, your soul would soar as you would push that lawnmower and if that was when you felt close to God then you know, come to my yard next Saturday and <laughs> feel your heart sore <laughs> go back to your first love taste grace again step 12 says if you're going to you're going to need to repeat the steps from time to time for the 60-60, that probably means that you're not going to have your app on for the rest of your life, but maybe you need to set it for a couple of times during the day. Or, or maybe for you, you can get real intentional in your drive to work, and your commute home, that that's when you're going to listen and respond to God. Or maybe you're going to carve out lunchtime, maybe 15 minutes in the middle of your day, and just say, that's when God and I are going to talk. Don't get out of the practice. And more importantly, don't stop this rhythm of listening to God's voice and responding to it in obedience. That passage from Ephesians we talked about a couple weeks ago, 519 says, don't quench the Spirit. Other translations say, don't put out the Spirit's fire. That's pretty sobering to think that we could dampen God's fire inside of us by not listening to him. And if you're out of the habit of listening and responding over time, you'll just stop hearing anything. So this week, talk to your running partner or your life group or a friend you trust and work out what your maintenance plan is gonna be after the 60-60. All right, here's another phrase from step 12. We tried to carry this message to others. The funny thing about people who have lost their feelings, lost their spiritual fire, is they can't even see that it's their own fault that they started focusing on themselves they can't see beyond their own worries and issues 12 steppers know that if you become focused on yourself and you're not looking at how you can help others it puts your recovery in danger you've got to be carrying the message and helping people see that there's freedom available for them too jesus says as we read earlier in john chapter 15 you know, if you abide in me, then you are going to bear much fruit. So the expectation is, if, if you're staying connected, you're also going to be making an impact in the world. And this stuff is, isn't just true for people, it's true for churches. Some churches were once completely alive. They had a spiritual awakening, and God's grace and God's love abounded. But they lost it. They turned in on themselves. They started thinking of themselves as consumers. They lost their heart for the poor. They stopped telling their stories to other people. And as a result, they got stale. God save us from that fate, a gateway. So we're gonna just keep saying around here, no perfect people allowed. We're gonna keep reaching out. We're gonna keep inviting our friends and our family members and our workmates to church. We're going to uh, continue to not regard this campus as the place where church happens. We're gonna move out into the community and meet spiritual and physical needs. Why is that? Because we've undergone an awakening. And if we just hoard it, if we just try to hang on to it ourselves, that's the day we start to die. A lot of people ask us around here, why can't we make Sunday morning a little more churchy? Let's throw up some religious symbols on the walls and let's get a little more theological. Let's sing some hymns. Let's do the things that I'm used to. Let's do more of what I like. And we have to say real unapologetically, Sunday morning, this Inspire service is a chance for us to make God and to make a relationship with Him relevant to people who are burned by church or haven't been to church in a long time. If you're a Christ follower, sure, on Sunday mornings, you're going to be fed with God's word. You're going to experience him in worship, and it's going to be great. But we're also going to speak the language of people who aren't used to church. We're not going to use a lot of jargon in King James. We're going to make the Bible as practical as possible for their lives. We're never going to stop inviting our neighbors and our friends here. Uh, We have other venues at Gateway for you to go as deep as you possibly want to go. In life groups, or in our Wednesday night service, or in serving trips. And so uh, on Sunday mornings, we're not going to water it down for anybody. But at the same time, we're not going to exclude anyone because they don't have 20 years of Sunday school under their belts. Can't you see that our growth here at Gateway is dependent on our willingness to serve others outside of this place. The minute we start to become a Christian club and turn in our, on ourselves, the DNA, what God so incredibly brought together here, begins to vanish. In Second Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. In other words, you've undergone a spiritual awakening. Now what? All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed up to us this message of reconciliation. So because God did this incredible thing in us, He has now made us his main instrument of sharing it with the world. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, Paul says, as though God were making his appeal through us. When you tell your story, God draws people to life. You're the light of the world, Jesus said, the salt of the earth, a city set on a hill. But he said, if you stop being salty, if you stop sharing with other people, your faith's not good for anything anymore. God says, I want to partner with you in bringing life to people. Well, I hope this series has been life-changing for you. It has been for me. There was part of me that was dead, an anger that I carried all these years even while I was standing on the stage speaking to you, and I'm really sorry for that. But these last six weeks of just staying connected and listening and responding, something's changed. And I don't want this to just be a mountaintop experience. Step 12 says, having had a spiritual awakening, we maintain and we reflect. There's this awesome scene in the Robin Williams movie from a long time ago, Awakenings. You remember that movie? If you haven't seen it, it's about a real doctor named Oliver Sacks who developed a treatment for people who had a degenerative brain disease where they were essentially uh, vegetables and they were kind of locked up in this home With the doctor, and they would sit in wheelchairs and have no interaction with the world. They just kind of stared blankly into space. And so Sachs developed a treatment that helps them regain consciousness. And these patients start to come alive and they walk and they eat and they talk and they go on field trips. Life's no longer this numb uh, shadow world, it's alive and vibrant. And there's this one scene where the doctor takes a guy who had just been awakened, uh, who was played by Robert De Niro, takes him to a cottage on the beach. And the very first morning there, De Niro wakes up and he smells the salt on the breeze and he feels the wind in his hair and he hears the sound of the waves crashing on the sand and Robin Williams asks him, what do you want to do today? And his patient who's undergone an awakening says, everything, I want to do everything. God's been awakening a lot of people here at Gateway. And uh, he's opening up a whole new life for us. And this doesn't have to be a mountaintop experience. If We'll just maintain and reflect. We can wake up every morning and God can have this message. What do you want to do today? And you can say to him, everything. I want to do everything.